Good evening. It is 5.09. There is breaking news out of the White House. General Kelly has told the president he is willing to resign. You know, I put up a piece at the research this morning saying uh, maybe he should, but if he does, others need to go with him. There's a troubling report in in the Washington Post uh, that General Kelly was willing to stand by Rob Porter, the staff secretary in the White House, after seeing a picture of the black eye. Um, I, I have want to avoid this subject for a lot of reasons. Uh, it is bad, uh, but I just, I, I have a, up oh, my, my series going crazy on me. I, I have a, just a, a gut feeling and I could be wrong. I'm willing to be wrong, but it just, all of these stories just strike me as it, it, it just feels like, and it does feel like. Feels like somebody is trying to set up uh, Doug Mag- uh, Don McGahn and General Kelly, and they are two of the most competent people in the White House. A friend of mine in the White House texted me a little while ago and said that I should start blowing up General Kelly because maybe then the president would stand by his man because he's about all that's standing between uh, sanity and a Javanka puppet. Uh, Jared and Ivanka are trying to push out General Kelly because General Kelly uh, has largely limited their access to the president. Now, why has he limited their access to the president? Uh, Well, in particular, he has done so because he felt like they were causing the president to lose focus on key issues uh, within the White House. Uh, They weren't the only ones. Uh, First and foremost, among those whose access was limited to the president was Omarosa, uh, who's now out and on Big Brother and and spilling the beans, so to speak, um, claiming that it's just it's just awful. It's just awful. Now, I I got a hard time believing Omarosa Menengal. I really do. And she's trying to stir up some controversy. I, I don't know if she wants a book deal out there or not, but it, it wouldn't surprise me. Um, I just, I, the whole thing seems to be in chaos. And it really, really does feel to me, and it is a gut feeling, that there are those out there trying to push out Kelly and McGann. And it would probably be bad if they did so because those two individuals are the grown-ups in the room and they have provided a measure of stability. At the same time, at the same time, their handling of, of the Porter situation as they began getting information uh, was not good, but I do want to add a little caveat from this based on someone who I have talked to who has knowledge of the situation. And uh, this person told me to keep in mind that there was an FBI investigation ongoing. And it is very likely that McGann and Kelly decided they wanted to wait for the FBI to wrap up its investigation because they felt the FBI would do a more thorough job in finding out the veracity of the information. I do have to tell you, and you can feel free to disagree with me on this, but I believe a bunker mentality has set in at the White House. Everyone seems to be out to get them. 
you got people on the left. I got a syndicated column today everywhere except Atlanta that basically points out that it doesn't matter what Donald Trump does. The left declares it bad. Everything they've long wanted, many of those things the president has said he supports, and they're all declaring these things bad now. Uh, Nothing the president can do is right. And the president is terrible all the time, terrible. And anyone who works for the president is terrible and they're all traitors. And at, at that point, you get into a bunker mentality and, and you don't want to believe all the allegations coming your way. And many of the allegations are false. And it becomes harder and harder to weed through the false allegations from the real allegations. And so it, it seems reasonable that McGahn and Kelly did want to say, you know what, let's let the FBI look at this and see what they turn up. And if it's bad, he's fired. And it turns out Rob Porter is out. He, he's not going to be in the White House anymore. And the president had no knowledge of this. The president was not involved in this. The president was kept out of the loop on this. This isn't a Trump thing. But that they, according to the Washington Post, saw pictures of the black eye of the first wife and were willing to still defend Porter is deeply troubling, uh, deeply troubling. And there doesn't appear to be any excuse for it. Um, and it's just bad to think that that they may be all that stands between normalcy and a Javanka puppet for chief of staff. Um, now, what I really want to talk about is the budget. Why is it that Republicans have to be in the opposition from the White House in order to be conservative? And even then, they're not very conservative. It's very frustrating. By the way, the phone number is 404-872-0750-1800. WSB Talk will be a little more lenient with cause tonight. Um, But, you know, I I got a friend of mine who texted me a little while ago who is, is, he's a little upset with Karen Handel and with Barry Loudermilk for going along with this budget deal. Uh, they're They're the good fiscal conservatives along with Jody Heiss. Jody Heiss voted against the budget deal. And I'm sure that that Karen and Barry felt they were in a very difficult position um, trying to avoid a government shutdown and rein in spending and come up with some deal to get things moving. Uh, They got the chip program uh, held off for 10 years now, among other things. So I, I wish Republicans would start taking seriously the idea they got to cut spending. I was a fan of sequestration. Contrary to a lot of conservative media reports, sequestration actually did real cuts at the time. Uh, It wasn't future cuts. Sequestration actually engaged in real cuts. And we got to start cutting. We got to figure out a way to balance the budget. Because, look, I I was on NPR earlier today, gave a short little interview, Jonathan Capehart from the Washington Post editorial board and I, talking about politics. And I told him, If we raise taxes 100%, we still, I mean, assuming, even in the best case scenario, which would never happen, but you raise taxes 100% on everyone and you presume that the current productivity would still be there so you would get all of that revenue, you'd still have a spending problem. You would still need to make cuts. And nobody wants to cut. Only the, the small subset of conservatives in the House and the Senate, Rand Paul and Mike Lee in particular in the Senate, man, it was depressing to see Ted Cruz vote for the spinning plan because of the disaster relief in Texas. So you got two or three people in the Senate. You, you've only got 25 or so in the House who are willing to make a stand for it. 
where are they going to cut? They got to cut. We are going to, well, not we, they, they are going to bankrupt the country. And Republicans seem to only be interested in cuts when a Democrat's in the White House. You know, the most fiscally responsible time in this country was when Bill Clinton was in the White House and Newt Gingrich was in charge of the House and Bob Dole in charge of the Senate. You were suddenly able to get a deal. You were suddenly able to get a balanced budget, a balanced budget that actually worked very well and stimulated economic growth. It is just amazing that Bill Clinton and Newt Gingrich were were able to, to exercise some discipline of any kind and balance the budget when no one seems to want to balance the budget. And they're headed off to bankruptcy, led by a bunch of Republicans who claim to be fiscally conservative. That's the most disappointing part of all of it. It is 25 after the hour. The phone number 404-872-0750-1800. WSB Talk. Um, I want to get into the immigration situation as well. Uh, Mitch McConnell structuring a deal to let Democrats, basically an open uh, process for immigration, which means for every amendment Republicans get, Democrats are going to get an amendment in the Senate, this open process, so they can get a more liberal piece of legislation. Probably won't be able to pass the House. Uh, I'll tell you what I know here in a minute. Uh, But first... Thanks to Casey Cagle uh, last night for stopping by, uh, spending an hour. If you want to hear the interview, you can text the word show to 444-999, 444-999. I will send you back a link to the podcast. And uh, we spent an hour with the Lieutenant Governor. He made a little bit of news uh, last night on the income tax uh, sales tax transition in the state and whatnot. Uh, I'll get into more of the details. And the campaign finance numbers are out. I, I want to spend some time talking about that in the next hour. Right now, though, I really do want to get into immigration. Um, and before we even get there, I uh, want to go to the phones back to Ackworth. Now, you got to tell me who this is because the call screening program, yet again, ate your name. Thomas. Thomas, thank you for calling. Hey, Eric. Um in addition to this being a bad budget deal, as I understand it, it eliminates the Republicans' ability to use reconciliation to pass anything, which effectively, if that's true, means they're not going to pass anything for the rest of the year, probably. Is this a sign that McConnell may move to eliminating the filibuster for legislation? And if, And I wanted to know from you, do you agree with me that that is a good idea since the Democrats are most certainly going to do it when they gain control of the Senate one day? Um, you know, I actually don't believe the Democrats will do it uh, for legislation in particular. Um, the main reason I don't believe Democrats will do it is because they could have done it and they didn't uh, when they were trying to get rid of the uh, judicial filibuster. They gave a lot of serious thought to it. And a majority of the Democrats were opposed to it. You now have guys like Ted Cruz coming out saying, let's go on and get rid of it. I, I Listen, I think getting rid of the filibuster is a terrible idea because it is the last thing conservatives have to stop the growth of government. Um, and even rarely then is it able to be used. But when it can be deployed, for example, Rand Paul last night 
uh, at least being able to slow things down. I really don't think the Democrats want to do it. Um, what I do think, though, on this issue, even uh, after McConnell got rid of it for the, uh, you don't think that they'll they'll basically say, well, uh, since McConnell got rid of it for judicial nominees. This is our no, because remember, they, they got rid of it for tax. judicial nominees, except for the Supreme Court. Uh, so the, the right. Democrats got rid of it for all appointees except the Supreme Court. Uh, and then McConnell added on to that. And even then, there was a great Democratic freakout uh, that they would do it to legislation. So I don't think they will. On the other, they can only use reconciliation once a year. So they haven't gotten rid of it. They've just already used it for the fiscal year. Uh, they did it back in December. So they've used their reconciliation for the year. They can't use it again until after October. It's 39 after the hour. Let me get into immigration here, but I do hope you paid attention in the um, bottom of the news hour that they they want to tax your streaming services in our state legislature. They want to tax, the Republicans want to tax your Spotify, uh, Apple Music, Netflix, you name it. They want to tax your streaming services. And here's the thing, um, they already are taxed, but you, you said, we, we get a bill from Netflix and it doesn't have, well, you're paying for the internet, they tax the internet that it comes over, you're, you're already paying a tax. Um, for them to say that they're, that they are somehow now these things, you, you they used to be able to tax them when we're, no, this is, this is new. You got your tax on your cable, your tax on your phone, your tax on your internet. That hasn't changed. They're trying to find new revenue and they're lying about it. Um, Gosh, Uh, Republican raising taxes. It's the Republicans doing this. You know, Hunter Hill had a lot to say on this. Um, the other day, he is opposed to this this tax scheme that Republicans are proposing. Uh, we spent a good bit on it. Uh, if you want to listen to that podcast or the ones with uh, Kegel, Williams, or Kemp, uh, text the word show to 444-999. Now, let's get into immigration. The Republicans have a real problem here in that the DACA situation runs out in March. The president is not extending it, and he's not extending it on reasonable grounds, even if you want the Republicans to do something. Reasonable grounds because the president believes and a court has determined that DACA is actually unconstitutional. As a result, um, they want to come up with a compromise solution, and in the Senate, they're going to open the process. Opening the process means that the Republicans and the Democrats together in the Senate will be able to mark up the bill. They will not restrict the amendment process. Democrats are very happy about this because they want to shape a bipartisan bill in the Senate. The problem, of course, is that um, they are probably not uh, going to be able to get anything through the House. And when they get to the Senate... Uh, The question is whether or not they will actually be able to, or when they get through the Senate into the House, will they actually be able to get anything done? I have no idea. 
uh, real problem. Um, by the way, there's some breaking news here uh, as I speak. The Associate Attorney General of the United States, Rachel Brand, has stepped down. She's the number three ranking person at the Justice Department behind Jeff Sessions and Rod Rosenstein. She is accepting a private sector job. Uh, she has attracted interest because of her potential to assume a role in the Trump-Russia investigation. Uh, Rod Rosenstein, having been repeatedly implicated by Republicans as someone who screwed up, uh, if he fired or quit, uh, the obligations would have fallen to Rachel Brand. There appear to be some sources suspecting, uh, saying that they were rushing to, uh, she wanted to rush to get out of the way before anything fell her way. She wanted nothing to do with it. So, um, bit of breaking news as we're speaking here. Rachel Brand, number three of the Justice Department, out the door. Uh, and, you know, the Justice Department is going to have to deal with the immigration issue as well. Um, they're going to have to deal with the immigration issue because uh, if the House Republicans can't figure out a way to get a deal with the Senate, they're just going to kick the can down the road. Paul Ryan today was already suggesting they may have to just do a one or two year deal to leave the DACA recipients here. But keep in mind, the Democrats are just as divided as Republicans. Democrats aren't sure what class of people they want to give citizenship to. Some of them want an all-or-nothing approach, that every illegal alien in this country should be made a citizen, but other Democrats just want to do DACA and their parents. Republicans and Democrats alike really divided on the issue, which is another reason probably McConnell wants an open process in the Senate. We'll see. You know, I'm really concerned that whatever deal we get in the House, um, it's not going to help Republicans in November, and they continue to need to mitigate damage that's going to happen with this Democratic wave. And yeah, I mean, I I, I do think that what we're seeing, uh, again, I, I told you guys I was in a meeting Last month, uh, you can call it a super secret meeting of the vast right wing conspiracy where I was in the room with about 40 conservative leaders from around the country, including uh, a lot of the political shop from the RNC and the White House. And in closed doors, they're all talking about uh, that we need to mitigate what is a real Democratic wave of motivated Democratic voters. I mean, these are White House and RNC people saying this. In public, they're not. In public, they're playing a confidence game that it's no big deal, no time to panic. Behind the scenes, they're starting to get really worried about it. None of them think the president will really be impeached if the Republicans lose the House. Uh, but they do think it'll completely railroad his agenda, and there will just be tons of hearings and investigations uh, from House Democrats. They're also worried about the Senate. Um, will they lose the Supreme Court? Because the Senate swings to the Democrats. That's a real concern. And Republicans really believe they need to get an immigration deal hammered out right now because privately they think the if the nation turns to the Democrats, that President Trump will want to cut a deal with them next year. And they would rather the deal be cut on their terms. The question is what they can get. Uh, right now, I think the White House deal is probably the most reasonable, uh, that being that you give the 1.8 million DACA recipients citizenship and take them off the table, deprive the Democrats of a future photo op, because most people in the country believe they should have citizenship. Whether you do or not is beside the point. Most people in the country do believe that the kids who were brought over here by their parents should, but they don't believe the parents should. 
So if you give the kids citizenship, uh, the Democrats no longer have them for a photo op to say, hey, give all these people citizenship too, because that's the only class of illegal alien that a majority of people in this country believe should have citizenship. And I personally think the Republicans would be smart to go on, do that, deprive the Democrats of these kids moving forward uh, as pawns in the immigration negotiations. And then either round everybody else up and deport them or give their parents resident alien status. Don't give them citizenship. Um, the parents, there's no business giving them citizenship. They probably don't even want it anyway. It is 54 after the hour. Eric Erickson here. I want to spend a good bit of time in the next hour with um, with local news. We've got the campaign finance uh, statements are now out. We have cash on hand totals for the candidates. And it is, well, there's some interesting data in there uh, on the Democratic side and on the Republican side. Some very interesting data about the gubernatorial candidates, among others. Now, I also think we do need to pay a bit of attention to this legislation in the House and the Senate for rural broadband. They want to raise your taxes. If you are listening to the sound of my voice, you probably have access to high-speed internet. And... The Republicans in the legislature want to raise your taxes to provide internet for other people. And one of the things they want to do is to let the Georgia uh, Technology Authority, I think it is, the GTA, manage this, which failed an audit. Michael Williams talked about this in our conversation uh, earlier this week. They failed an audit, the technology authority did. In fact, it was so bad they didn't even make the audit public, according to Michael Williams. And so the legislature wants to raise your taxes and let an authority that failed an audit manage the money. And what do they want to tax? They want to tax your Netflix. They want to tax your Apple Music. They want to tax Pandora. They want to tax Spotify. Uh, they want to tax Amazon Prime, your Amazon Prime account. All of these things they want to tax, uh, which is just ridiculous. Surely there is a better way to do this. We got a big windfall coming in. They don't want to restructure taxes on that yet. To some degree, that makes sense. Casey Cagle last night gave a sound defense of this, but Taxing your Netflix and whatnot, I think, is a terrible idea. When do Republicans start behaving like Republicans? We'll talk about all this and more next hour. Welcome back. It's nine after the hour. I'm Eric Erickson. This is Atlanta's Evening News on WSB. The phone number 404-872-0750-1800. WSB Talk. One of the things that has come up repeatedly with the candidates, uh, in fact, we spent a great deal of time 
on education last night with Casey Cagle. Uh, I did not know about the uh, German program. Uh, you know, when he first said it, it it's a, essentially a German vocational program. You, It's a, modeled after something in Germany where kids in high schools can partner up with industries and they get job skills. They even get some income while they're in high school. And, and so they get out and they're trained for a particular job. And Casey Cagle said he worked very hard to get this implemented in the state. The original pilot program was down in Coweta County. And I actually heard some from some parents afterwards whose kids are involved in the program and say it's very, very good. Education has been a very big issue in the state, and school reform advocates have been very frustrated with the state legislature being unwilling to advance real school choice initiatives. I have heard for a couple of years now, and we've talked about it on this program in the past, um, State Representative Tommy Benton uh, over in the Jefferson area, Jefferson Commerce, um, what is his specific, um, yes, I'm Googling on the fly as I do this. Why? Because I can. Uh, he is the secretary of the education committee. He's on the rules committee, the transportation committee, the appropriations committee. He's a retired teacher. Um, he is an insider's insider and he's been, according to multiple advocates for school choice and school reform in Georgia, one of the stumbling blocks of school choice. And he's never really had a compelling competitor in a Republican primary. And for years, people have said uh, the Speaker of the House and guys like Tommy Benton are the impediments to major school reform in Georgia. And I am pleased to say that Tommy Benton not only has a real competitor right now in Georgia, but he is also his competitor ahead of him in the polls. And if you're in the Jefferson, if you're in the Commerce, the Hushton area, is it Hushton? Yeah, it's Hushton, isn't it? It, it Hushton, Jefferson, Commerce. Um, where where else are the parts of the state house district? Um, yeah, you got Jefferson, Harrisburg, Newton. Um, parts of, you got most of Commerce there. Miller, Talmo, Pendergrass, uh, all those areas. If you're in that area, Tommy Bitten is your representative. It's House District Thirty One. And he's got a competitor named Sam Thomas. Sam Thomas, a young guy ahead in the polls. I know Sam. He actually writes at The Resurgent. I know him and his dad. They both write there. A good Christian guy, solidly solidly conservative. And he's probably not going to outraise uh, a guy like Bitten who has all of his incumbency connections, but he's intending to outwork him. And it's showing right now in the polls. And I hope you will consider if you recognize the name Sam Thomas as he comes door to door in your area and and working with his grassroots team there. I hope you'll consider and just understand that if you're out there in the Pendergrass, the, the Jefferson, the Commerce area, and you support school reform in Georgia, one of the major stumbling blocks is your state representative. And so when you see Sam Thomas, when you see his signs, you remember that he supports real school reform in Georgia. He supports real conservative policies. And I hope out there uh, in that part of the state, you will consider supporting Sam Thomas for the state house. Uh, he is working hard, and I hope we can get him across the finish line. And it'll he'll depend on you guys out there 
in that district getting him across the finish line. Okay, I want to review the campaign finance data because the the data is out there now and we've got all the disclosures in. We can see how this race is shaping up. There is a surprise. There actually is a legitimate surprise on the Democratic side in that Stacey Evans, a lot of people thought she would not be able to be competitive against Stacey Abrams, and yet she is. Um, she actually collected more than Stacey Abrams. So it, here's how, let's break this down. Um, this is from the AJC. Uh, this is the period uh, from uh, July 1st to January 31st, so we can see how everything is shaping up. Uh, Stacey Abrams has raised 1.7 million, has 460,000 on hand. She's raised 2.3 million total. Casey Cagle has raised four million, uh, has 5.75 million on hand. He's raised 6.7 million total. Stacy Evans uh, has raised 2.3 million. Uh, she's got 1.5 million on hand. This includes a million dollar loan and a $250,000 check. Uh, Hunter Hill has raised 1.1 million in this period. He's got cash on, or he's raised total. 2.2 million. He's got cash on hand of 1.5 million. Brian Kemp has raised 1.2 million uh, for a total raised of 2.9 million. He's got cash on hand of 2.1 million. Clay Tippins has raised 2.1 million uh, with a $450,000 loan. He's got cash on hand of 1.7 million. Michael Williams has raised 230000 this period. Um, he put in a loan of 500000 He's got cash on hand of $1.3 million. Uh, total, he's raised $1.8 million with $1.5 million in loans. Um, now, let me break this down for you because those are a lot of numbers. Here's the thing that stands out to me. Stacey Abrams has raised $2.3 million, but she's only got $460,000 cash on hand. Um, she's perceived as the Democratic frontrunner. Now compare that to Casey Cagle, who's raised $6.7 million total and has $5.75 million cash on hand. Um, that is a huge discrepancy right there. Uh, now let's look at Stacey Evans on the Democratic side. Uh, she has raised um, $2.3 million since she jumped into the race. That includes a million-dollar loan and a $250,000 check. So she's actually, I mean, raised about $1 million compared to Stacey Abrams having raised $2.3 million. But this is key. Stacey Evans has $1.5 million cash on hand in the bank, meaning she could spend it all today if she needed. Uh, Stacey Evans has, or I'm sorry, that's Stacey Evans has 1.5 million. This is so complicated. Two Stacey's. Stacey Abrams only has $460,000 in the bank. That suggests a very high burn rate for Stacey Abrams. And I'm not sure what she's doing with it. It may very well be she's um, paying for grassroots or whatnot. But a very interesting dynamic shaping up here and a very interesting dynamic on the Republican side. I want to break down these numbers a little bit more when we get back um, because you can start to see this race shaping up. And it's actually to some degree shaping up along expected lines. Hey, real quick, before we get back into everything else, I know you guys have been hearing the uh, ads about the cruise with my family this summer. I hope you'll consider it. 
And I know some of you are a little bit shy about the price. I totally get that. I mean, it is isn't like a seven-star ship. In fact, Forbes ran an article that the the ship does a Pacific cruise at one part of the year, and it's considered like the most luxurious cruise on the planet. Uh, we're not up to that level, but it is going to be very nice. Uh, but uh, the the travel company is really willing to work with you. Uh, and build a package for you so that you can come. I hope you'll consider at least calling them. Uh, you can text the word CRUISE to 345-345 to do that. One of the cool things that um, we're going to do is uh, do an excursion into Rome from the ship. There are 40 excursions you can sign up uh, and do. One of the ones I've worked with them on is one uh, into Rome. You stop at a port outside Rome. And they've got several excursions planned for you to choose from to get into Rome. If you've never been to Rome... Uh, it is uh, the chance of a lifetime to go, and you're not having to travel hotel to hotel. We're just staying on one ship. So I'm really excited by it. Uh, text the word CRUISE to 345-345. I'll send you back a link where you can see all the information and call the travel store. Um, now, I want to get back into the data here. I have gotten questions on the Republicans who are running for lieutenant governor. Um, it, for the numbers, uh, Jeff Duncan has 515,000 cash on hand. Uh, Rick Jeffers eh, has 420,000 cash on hand. David Schaefer has 1.48 million cash on hand. I don't know Jeff Duncan. I have several friends who are supporting him who think the world of him. I think he's the former baseball player. Um, I, I know Rick Jeffers enough to know don't support him. Um, I have known David Schaefer for probably a decade, and if if you asked me who I was going to vote for, uh, I would vote for David Schaefer just because I know him, and he has always been with conservatives in fights, whether it's on religious liberty or school choice or what have you. Um, I don't know Jeff Duncan. Um, I wouldn't support Rick Jeffers. I, I think he's bad news. Um, but Schaefer, I, I would absolutely support uh, he has always stood with conservatives. I mean, going back to when I was in the college Republicans back at Mercer, David was involved in various levels in politics in Georgia, uh, has always lined up with conservatives and, and always been willing to fight with conservatives. So um, I, I'm, I'm definitely voting for David in May, I guess the primary is. Um, I, I don't know anything about Jeff Duncan, I, I don't want to say anything bad about him. I have friends who think very highly of him and are supporting him, and um, he's doing a real good job campaigning and raising money. Uh, maybe he wins. If he does, God bless him. Um, I just, I've known David forever. Uh, Rick Jeffers, though, I, I know enough to know, don't support him. Uh, now, when we come back, more on the governor's race. 39 after the hour, Eric Erickson here. News 95.5 AM 750 WSB. Uh, the phone number 404-872-0750-1800 WSB Talk. Don't forget, if you want to listen to Casey Cagle's interview from last night, he made some news on the income tax and, and uh, the, the windfall Georgia might get uh, and on the, the faith-based adoption protections. A, a great interview with him. And you can text the word SHOW to 444-999, and I will send you back a link uh, for the podcast. And we put it as a standalone podcast for you to be able to uh, listen to. Now, I am not supporting anyone in the gubernatorial race. And Lord knows people have been pressuring me to endorse someone in the gubernatorial race. Uh, I think there are enough people running in this race on both sides, and I'm happy to have both sides come on and, and uh, introduce themselves to you. Uh, 
Um, as an aside, several of you have sent me emails and you said you wish I, I pushed more and and probed them more in, in these interviews. And as I've told y'all on the radio and I've told them, this first interview is there are so many of them running. They deserve a chance to introduce themselves to you on their terms. Uh, what their vision is, who they are, what their background is, what their big positions are. And I will bring them all back in and be more probative of them at a later date. I would love to do a debate between the Republican candidates. Uh, but I just I, I don't think it's my place in the very first interview, just like I did with the sixth district, had them once and asked them uh, introductory questions and then had them twice the second time and asked them uh, sharper questions based on their record positions and contradictions. Uh, but do that first. Um, so anyway, uh, this race is shaping up, I think, as a lot of people saw it. Clay Tippins, I think, is one of the wild cards. Uh, and it's based on the cash on hand. Brian Kemp and Casey Cagle are the front runners on the Republican side. Casey Cagle is the front runner. Uh, Brian Kemp, I think, right now is shaping up to be the alternative to Casey Cagle for a lot of people. And it is by virtue just of being another statewide office holder. He's had to run statewide before. He's had to build campaigns statewide before. He's had to build operations county by county, and he's doing that right now. Um, I know his campaign has told me they've got a campaign operation in all 159 counties. I believe he and Casey may be the only two. One of the others may as well. Um, I think what's interesting, though, is Hunter Hill. Let me give you the cash on hand again. Casey Cagle has $6.7 million cash on hand. That is the highest of anybody. Second highest is Brian Kemp. He's got $2.1 million cash on hand. A pretty significant chunk of change. Um, but then after that, um, Hunter Hill has $1.5 million cash on hand and has raised $2.2 million. What's interesting about that is Kemp's raised $2.9 million. Hunter Hill has raised $2.2 million. Um, that that's a really significant, solid chunk of change uh, for a state senator who left his seat um, to to run and, and raise that amount of money. Now, Michael Williams as well, who's an incumbent, he is kind of hindered right now like Casey Cagle is. They're not allowed to fundraise during the session. And he is largely self-funded. And so when you hear the numbers about Casey Cagle, for example, or, or I'm sorry, Michael Williams, I mean, we addressed this in his interview. He's raised $230,000 this period. Now, that sounds not good. I mean, let me just give you the numbers. Um, one candidate's raised $1.7, another's raised $4 million, another's raised $2.3, another's raised $1.1, another's raised $1.2, another's raised $2.1, and then you got $230,000 with Michael Williams. Um, but Williams, you've got to remember, is self-funding his race by and large. He's not accepting lobbyist contributions. He's not accepting PAC contributions. He's only accepting small-dollar contributions, and, and he wants this to be something that sets him apart from the other guys who he, I think I, he's probably right. As they raise large sums of money, he can use a bit of political jujitsu and say, look, they're bought and paid for. I'm not. I'm, I'm taking money from, from uh, bartenders and barbershop owners and small businessmen and, and stay-at-home moms and teachers. And he's trying to use that along with his own money. Now, he's put into his, uh, he's, he's got $1.3 million cash on hand, which is only, it's the least of the Republican candidates, but it's not far behind Clay Tippins. He has put in a $500,000 loan 
um, uh, this period with 1.5 million total in loans to fund this. So keep that picture in mind. He's doing this intentionally. Uh, look at the cash on hand numbers, not what's raised with each of these candidates. And, and I just find it very interesting that Stacey Abrams, who is the really, I think, the front runner on the Democratic side right now, has the least cash on hand. Uh, and the question is, is she building up a grassroots organization with it? If so, um, she may be able to offset um, a lack of money in the bank for a ground team across the state. Hey, before I forget, um, we have locked down uh, a new interview schedule with Clay Tippins. I will let you guys know when we've got it, um, when I've got the Eventbrite page set up. Uh, we didn't get locked down, I think, until yesterday, and I just I didn't get a chance to do it today, but we have locked that in. We are working uh, to schedule times with Stacey Abrams and Stacey Evans, uh, and I think they, they've been able to hear the types of interviews I'm doing uh, for this initial round, and uh, we want them to be comfortable as well. I realize we're mostly a conservative audience, but they're running for governor of Georgia. I think they have a right to introduce themselves to you as well. Um, so I am, uh, I'm quite pleased to be able to tell you we've got Clay Tippins and we'll be heading for, uh, Stacey Abrams, Stacey Evans. Speaking of, uh, the AJC has a report that MGM Resorts International has contributed 22,000 to Stacey Evans and 14,000 to Stacey Abrams, um, for their uh, bids. Uh, they're both in favor of legalizing casinos. Uh, the five leading contenders right now on the GOP side are opposed, um, and Nathan Deal is opposed as well. So they're throwing their money to the Democrats, uh, and I would uh, love to have them in and talk to them about their vision of the state. Um, probably wouldn't have time to get into casinos, but at some point I'd like to talk to all of them uh, on both sides about the casino issue as well. Aha! I have my answer on the Stacey Abrams issue and, and cash on hand issue. Uh, the AJC, Jim Galloway got a copy of a confidential memo from the campaign and they actually do think it was confidential because of the bluntness of the language and who all it was directed to. Uh, someone passed it along, uh, in advance of the fundraising numbers coming out. And again, I mentioned Stacey Abrams has 450,000 cash on hand and, uh, the memo, according to, uh, Jim Galloway, indicates uh, that uh, voter drives, digital work, and such done last year that Abrams used her money for has given her a structural advantage in the primary that's expected to be over 65% African-American. To that end, uh, Abrams decided she wasn't going to hang on to the money and spend it on the end. She was going to go on and lay the groundwork. So there we have it. Um, there is, well... <laughs> There will be some blunt attacks coming on the Democratic side, it appears. They're anticipating. Uh, that one's going to heat up. But, uh, you know, the Republican one is going to be heating up. Uh, it is going to be very interesting to see how they position themselves. Um, and, you know, you do have now battle lines being drawn to some degree. Casey Cagle, for example, last night saying he didn't support rolling over to the sales tax from the income tax. Michael Williams and Hunter Hill have both come out. Now, since that interview last night, swinging against him on that, they want to go to the sales tax route. And Cagle's position is that it sounds great politically, but when you actually run the numbers and uh, do the equivalences, you probably wind up um, not in a good position. So we will see how all this stuff shapes out. Now, uh, one housekeeping note for you. I'm on Meet the Press on Sunday. I'm headed up to Washington tomorrow evening after Little League practice. Uh, so keep that in mind. I will be on Meet the Press on NBC on Sunday. And otherwise, I will see you guys on Monday. Y'all have a good weekend. Stay dry if you can and stay with WSB to find out the latest on the weather.